Okay, would you please turn with me in your Bibles? Open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, maybe um, if you need some help getting there, it's in the New Testament after the book of John, then Acts, then Romans, then Corinthians. If you get to the other Ian's books, go back to the left. Um, But we get to 1 Corinthians 6 here today on your Bible app or in your physical Bible. And uh, let me just ask by show of hands, who got to hear Pastor Jordan's message last week? Okay, no shame if you didn't, but uh, just by show of hands, who heard that? And uh, if you heard Pastor Jordan's message last week, in a nutshell, let's have a little bit of talk in church time. What was it about? What's that? I heard Judge Judy somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, stay away from Judge Judy, right? Yeah, yeah, Jordan got that right. <laughs> yeah, it was a great message, really important message about how Christians would be able to decide non criminal matters together. That we would be able to arbitrate with each other. We'd have a level of discernment and love, the key word being discernment, discernment and love for each other. That on non criminal matters, we say, hey, we don't need to go to the courts. We can handle this together. We love each other. We can handle this together. It was a message about discernment. Go back two weeks to, to my message. If you were here a couple weeks ago, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, what was that about? Have a little talk in church time. Anybody? Come on, don't humble me that much. <laughs> Sexual immorality. It was a case of incest, and it was a case of church I heard everyone say discipline at once, church discipline. And likewise, church discipline for the purpose of restoration, that message was likewise all about discernment. Okay, chapter six, all about discernment on different moral issues. Chapter five, all about discernment related to church discipline issues that might come up in the church as we pursue the holiness of God. The rest of chapter six, which we're gonna be in here though this morning, starting in verse nine, is also about discernment related to moral issues. And what the Apostle Paul is gonna get at here though this morning is, please discern, I urge you to discern, I urge you to notice with me that what you do with your body is a big deal. He's gonna say, I please discern with me that your sexuality really matters to God. Your sexuality is a big deal to God. And and the Apostle Paul, I want you to know, as we jump into this here in 1 Corinthians 6, he does not skirt the issue. Now, if you have young children, though, this morning, and you didn't know we'd be talking about this today, and you'd like to take your young children to E-Free Kids, you are most welcome to get up and take them to E-Free Kids right now. Um, I'm, I'm totally serious. Uh, Pastor Kent and, and Lindsey Denny and the crew anticipate that maybe they'll get a few more after this uh, message starts, and that's just fine. So if you want to check your kids into E-Free Kids on this talk about sexuality, feel free to do so. If you're an adult and you'd like to check yourself into E-Free Kids this morning. <laughs> if you're a pastor and you'd like to check yourself into... Okay. <laughs> We really don't normally address issues like this all by themselves 
on Sunday morning. The danger, of course, of talking about sexuality on a Sunday morning and elevating the, this issue would be to elevate it above other issues. And I do not want to do that. And that is a danger and we do not intend to do that. We don't wanna put it on top of the list. But on the other hand, it is all in the news, right? Right? Okay, this is a talking church day, friends. When your pastor talks about this topic, you have to talk with him. Okay, it's too awkward to do it by myself. All right, it's all in the news, it's in our minds, it's in our schools, and so we talk about it. This issue impacts us all, and we all have friends, and we have family, and we have those in our lives, every one of us has someone in our lives whose life has been deeply scarred by this issue. There's no escaping that. And that might be you today, that your life has been deeply scarred by this. There's many of us in that boat. And we all know people who are struggling through these right now. You might be struggling through some of what we'll talk about here though this morning. And, and that's fine, I'm so glad that you're in church. We struggle through these together. This needs to be a safe place where we struggle through the kinds of things well, we're gonna be talking about here though this morning together. And this truly impacts us all. And so when the scriptures speak about this issue of sexuality, we are very wise to put on our hearing aids and say, word of God speak. Holy Spirit speak. Lord Jesus, would you please speak? Even to us, we will listen. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse nine. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the, great, the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But, Paul says, you were washed this is the most beautiful conjunction in all of scripture. Beautiful conjunction it is. But, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. You say, Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also physically. He's given the greatest compliment possible to our bodies. Our bodies will be resurrected one day. So what you do in your body, it really matters. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. For whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not on your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Father in heaven, we, uh, we come to you this morning and we ask for your help in this passage. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to set aside our preconceived notions of how things should be, how we want things to be, and that we would accept and even submit to how you say things are. We love you, Lord. We trust ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you now, and we invite you to speak to us from your very precious word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, there, there are many different ways that this conversation is, is framed these days as we talk about sexuality. And, uh, and probably the first way that is, is most notable and maybe most popular in the news these days comes from um, the LGBTQ community. And in that community, and not just in that community, just in general as well in our culture, I might say, it's now seen as a sin to not embrace one's sexuality or felt gender, and the greatest sin possible is to object to someone's sexuality or gender identity. Did you get that? That is now seen as the greatest sin possible to object to someone's sexuality, whatever it might be, or chosen gender identity. Now folks, you, you really gotta understand, this is kind of a new concept. Young people in the room may not know that it's new because you've been bathed in it across your years, but for the vast majority of history, sex has always been seen as something that we do, not who we fundamentally are. Even some 20 years ago, certainly, like even when I was in college 25 years ago, sex was a, a bodily function. That's what it was. It wasn't fundamentally who you are, but it's that way no longer. Today, sexuality is equal to identity. And the number one identity marker that many people hold on to today is related to sexuality or gender. Now there's a second way of looking at it that I would say comes from what you would call like the fundamentalist or even the cultural Christianity crowd. And oftentimes in that crowd there's like this hierarchy of sins with some sins as being seen worse than others and amongst that crowd, oftentimes, whether it's said or not, the implication is the worst of all sins is homosexuality. Now most in this camp really, really get angry about homosexuality and they used to have very, very high standards for heterosexual behavior as well. But as the culture in general has shifted over the past, I don't know, 60, 70 years related to sexuality, folks in that camp, including in many churches, have oftentimes changed with it, and here's what's happened. They say in fundamentalist crowds sometimes, and in cultural Christianity crowds sometimes, uh, you know, premarital sex, illicit sex, eh, no big deal. Everybody does it. Pornography, mm, no big deal. 
Everybody does it. It's not a big deal to us, and therefore the thinking goes, it must not be a big deal to God. Which, by the way, when the LGBTQ crowd hears that, what do they see the fundamentalist crowd as? Yes, I heard someone say hypocrites. Loud and clear, that's how they, they see it. Okay, because it's an elevation of one while there's a disregard of another. Now, there's a third way, which is the way of Jesus, that I believe is the right way. Of course, the way of Jesus is the right way, right? And the way of Jesus is this. It's full of grace and full of truth. It's both gracious and truthful at the same time. It's an acknowledgement that all of us are struggling, and we probably all struggle in different ways. And all of us are in process and all of us need God's grace. And no matter where you are today, the grace of God is unfathomable. And no matter where you are today, the truth of God is unbreakable. Now many of us wanna be like 75% truth and 25% grace. And others wanna be like 75% grace and 25% truth. But Jesus really doesn't leave us that option. And he is our example on this. He lived this and he taught it. Listen to this word about Jesus as he was born, as he comes into the world. John 1.14, Jesus came full of grace and full of truth, 100% of both. The word, and the word for word is Jesus, okay? The word is a name for Jesus. The word of God the, the original word of God, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Father. He's the only begotten of the Father, and he came full of grace. Both, both, right? Full of grace and full of truth. Interestingly, it notes grace first. I think that's because grace has to lead the way if you're gonna give people truth. I think that's why grace is noted first. It's not that Jesus was more gracious than truthful. He was full of both, but grace has to lead the way if you're going to give people truth. The Apostle Paul was actually the same way. You notice this in verses 9 through 11 though, that we just looked at. You'll see this on the screen again. It says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then what he does there is he lists out a whole bunch of sins, and what we could do at this point, as opposed to like looking at other people's sins when we read the, this passage, is insert our own favorite sins there. Like whatever yours would be, Paul has these different lists in the scriptures that are called vice lists. And this is one of his vice lists here where he lists out a whole bunch of different sins. It's not comprehensive, but the point is you're to find yourself in that. And then see him saying, that is what some of you were. Me, I'm in that list. Me, two hands. But you were washed. You're washed. You're sanctified, you're justified. Okay, so like Paul leaves nobody off the hook. And then at the same time, he leaves nobody on the hook either. He takes us all off the hook when he says you can be washed, sanctified and justified in the name 
of God through the glory of Jesus Christ. Every person that I've ever met, whenever we talk about this subject or other issues of the day, every person that I've ever met errs in the side of either truth or grace. And I think it's a worthy exercise to ask yourself, what is your tendency? Do you tend to err on the side of truth or grace? And then ask God to help you be full of grace and full of truth. We all kind of err either on the side of legalism or leniency. But the third way of Jesus by being our example is the one that we strive for in all of the challenging conversations that are endemic to life in 2023. And Lord knows there are many of them, right? In all the challenging conversations that are endemic to our lives today, we want to be full of grace and full of truth, 100% of both. Now, here's truth uh, this morning as it relates to the topic at hand. The word used by the Bible for sexual behavior outside, beyond marriage, between one man and one woman is sin. These are not my words, these are the words of Scripture. Now, the word sin simply means missing the mark. It's as if an archer brings back the bow and is shooting for a target and misses widely over here. That's sin, okay? It's missing the mark of God's holy standard. There are some people who try to take the pertinent passages in Scripture about sexuality and kind of modify them and twist them so they say something different than they actually say. But this is what the Scriptures say. Sexual behavior beyond marriage, beyond a union between one man and one woman, is outside of God's design and will for humanity. And it's actually quite black and white in the Scriptures. There's a number of things that are kind of gray in the scriptures that we're going to go to heaven and we're going to ask God, what exactly did you mean about this? This is not one of those issues. It's really quite black and white how God puts it out in the scriptures. So that's one truth. Here's another truth if you're taking notes. Another truth is this, failing to love your neighbor wherever they might be struggling also is sin. The hammer of truth outside of the velvet touch of grace will be received with pain and in all likelihood, it's a sin before a holy God. The hammer of truth outside the velvet touch of love is sin. Because Jesus is interested in the words we say and he's equally interested in how we say them. Is there anybody in here this morning? He's equally interested in how we say them. Paul's been telling us in 1 Corinthians, you go back to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, that there are some stumbling blocks that people will have to faith in Jesus Christ, right? The cross is intended to be a stumbling block. And some of Jesus' words will be a stumbling block for people. And when they are, you simply submit to that and say, okay, I can't do anything about that. I don't want to change Jesus' words in any way. They will be a stumbling block. But the problem comes up when folks in the church, when Christians like me, add to a stumbling block by being ungracious or unloving with neighbors who are struggling in different ways than us. You hear that? Okay, the word of God and Jesus will be a stumbling block. May we never be a stumbling block to someone coming to know Jesus Christ. 
I, I, I'm a pastor, okay? I am not a hot button speaker. That's not who I am. I speak about these topics, they come up because I love you. And I want God's best for you, just like I want God's best for me. And I know that there are people in this room who are struggling with sexual addictions. I know there are people in this room that struggle with same-sex attraction. And there are people in this room who may struggle even with gender dysphoria. And whatever it is, wherever you might be struggling today, I am so glad you're here. Hear my heart, I am so glad you're here. The church needs to be the place where we can struggle and we can wrestle and we can talk about these things. And people with all different kinds of struggles can come in and they know that they're loved by God and they're loved by a community of faith that joins them in the struggle. I hope that Carnegie Free would be a safe place for people to come and ask questions and struggle together. I hope that Carnegie Free could be the kind of bold place that would be able to say on one hand, like, changing your God-given gender probably will not be the best solution to your problems. And I say that in all humility, it probably will not be the best solution to your problems. And yet at the same time, as I recognize there's deep pain there, can we struggle together? I'd love to meet you where you are and struggle together with you and you're, you're welcome here. I don't know why this affects me so much, but there's just people who feel like maybe they wouldn't be welcome in the church anymore. And that grieves my heart because I believe there's one hope for humankind. There's one hope for the things that we struggle with. Now this passage isn't like so much about gender, it's really about sexuality, but the two are related deeply. And here's God's blueprint uh, for sexuality. Please listen to it. Four different times from three different authors, the scriptures say this, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Here's Jesus in Matthew 19. Be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And this comes from Moses in Genesis chapter two at the very beginning. It comes twice far from Jesus, Matthew 19 and Mark 10. It comes far from the Apostle Paul here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 and also in um, in Ephesians chapter five, it's a blueprint, okay? God gives us blueprint for marriage. He gives a blueprint for, for sexuality and even identity. And the blueprint includes this, uh, that God creates men and women uniquely and distinctly to complement each other. And men and women are to abstain from all sexual relations outside of marriage. And this passage doesn't explicitly address homosexuality and folks have pointed out that Jesus actually never explicitly addresses homosexuality and they say, so what's up with that? Well, here's what's up with that. Like, homosexuality, it was beyond the pale within first century Judaism. And Jesus is speaking to Jews. And to engage in homosexuality in first, section, in first century Judaism would be like saying, don't have sex with your mother today. Like it's just, it was just beyond the pale in that culture. 
And so people say, well, why didn't Jesus address it? And why did Paul address it so hard? Well, this is why. Like, you don't speak to the issues that are not issues on the ground. It was an issue on the ground where Jesus is speaking, but it certainly was for the Apostle Paul. And so as he's speaking to the church in Corinth, and then in Rome, and then in Ephesus, uh, through um, the book of Timothy as well, in each of those places, he addresses this issue of homosexuality. Why? Because it was a huge issue in the Greco-Roman world where they were ministering, and it was contrary to God's chosen blueprint that was just stated on that screen. That a man would leave his father and mother, and a woman would leave her father and mother, and they would unite to one another, they would become one flesh, and nothing would tear them apart. Now he doesn't, Paul does not here, you must understand in this passage, as he's so explicit, he does not exclude someone who's struggling with homosexual attraction or gender identity issues any more than he excludes someone struggling, struggling with premarital sex. He doesn't do that. He addresses them both. I love the way J.D. Greer puts it, a well-known pastor in North Carolina, used to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said, homosexuality doesn't, doesn't send you to hell just like heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven. No, God is gracious to us in our struggles. But if we say to God, this is the key idea, you must hold on to this, if we say to God, no, no, I will reject you and your commands for me then what we're doing is we're making sexuality into a God. And if you make sexuality into a God, then you do indeed hinder your connection with God. And then you have to wonder about things after death as well. Don't turn anything else into God. I had a guy I was discipling many years ago at my previous church assignment, and he wanted to follow Christ, and I believe he was a Christian, um, but he also really, really wanted to keep sleeping around. And uh, one day as, we were disciple, as I was discipling him, just kind of walking through the, the gospel, trying to teach him the, 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 the things of God in different ways, he just said to me point blank, Adrian, why does God care so much about what I do in my own bedroom? Total fair question. Totally fair question. He just asked me it that way. And what I told him was basically this. God cares so much about your sexuality because he cares so much about you. The reason God cares so much about your sexuality is because he cares so much about you. God is not some kind of uptight church Scrooge. Goodness, he's the author of sex, come on. He cares so much about you, he loves you so much, he loves us way too much to let us live without boundaries in this sensitive and powerful area of life. And so like, here's a way you can think about it. Have you ever planted tree saplings? Anyone? Now's a good time of year. I like planting tree saplings though this time of year. They're easily broken, right? I mean, you have a success rate of maybe 20%. And they're easily broken, but because they're so fragile, and friends, that is us in the sexual arena. We are so fragile. And it's so easy to break trust in this this area, is it not? And so God knows that we're really fragile here, and so he's made us to grow stronger with one other person for life together. Now that doesn't always happen, and so there is forgiveness, God always offers forgiveness, but that is his loving design because he loves us, because he cares about us, that's his design. Now like today, cohabitation, for example, is just taken for granted in our culture anymore. 
But did you know that cohabiting couples, after they get married, are 50% more likely to get divorced than those who did not cohabit? I know it's counterintuitive, but it's true. Study after study has shown that. Why is that? Like, could it be that God chooses, that God tells us to wait for sex until marriage for our own benefit? Because he loves us? Could it be that there are good reasons that he asks us to wait? Let me give you three good reasons he asks us to wait. Number one, waiting builds friendship. When you wait on sex, you give your relationship an opportunity to build friendship to develop communication skills, to develop conflict resolution skills without the emotional entanglements of sex. Number two, learning to abstain now will help you to abstain later. Can I get an amen? It's just a fact. Like you will have to abstain later. There will be a time in your marriage that you won't be able to have sex. Whether it be health issues or whatever the case may be, and abstaining now will help you with that later on. Number three, in God's design, sex is the consummation to the declaration, I choose you for life. Like if you're gonna say to someone, I'm leaving all others and I'm choosing you alone. And I'm choosing to become emotionally and spiritually and physically bound with you, then God says, ooh, as a result of that, let me give you this wonderful gift as a consummation to that gift as a celebration of that high, most high level of commitment. And I just believe that so much of the insecurity and identity issues and depression issues that so many people in every demographic are struggling with in our culture today could be lessened, they could be minimized to some degree if we chose to live inside of God's boundaries in this area of life, understanding that he gives us boundaries but because he loves us. And perhaps we would turn from being saplings into oaks of righteousness. Let me just give you three helps for the battle, okay? That's a lot. I want to close here, though, this morning by giving you three simple helps for the battle that is all of ours. There's books, though, that are written called Every Man's Battle and Every Woman's Battle, and I think those are about accurate. These really are all of our battles. And so listen to a few helps to... Um, strengthen us in this battle. You know, um, it's helpful to look at brain science here, just an aside. Uh, brain science tells us that when, when you lust, when we lust over something that's not for us, what happens is in your brain there's this neurotransmitter called dopamine. You've probably heard of that. And it goes off, it gives you a hit. And then like each time you lust, it goes off again, gives you another hit. And dopamine has been called the gimme gimme molecule. Gimme more, gimme more, gimme more. And so like when you look at pornography, well what happens is the dopamine hit goes off in your brain. And brain science has, has demonstrated that in the same way as a drug addict's brain is literally changed by taking heroin. So also, the pornography addict's brain is changed. The shape of it is changed 
It's been reframed in a way by all of the constant dopamine hits of being overstimulated in a way that is not natural. That's what happens in the brain. Now, the good news on the back side of that is the brain is incredibly flexible. It's amazing how it can be rewired. New neurons can be regrown. That's how you see addicts overcoming their addictions on a regular basis. New neurons, new networks can be grown in us. And what um, has become a prison cell for so many people can be an opportunity to burst through those bars and become free once again. So again, let me give you a few helps for the battle. Number one is this, fight for holiness with a couple safe friends. Fight for holiness with a couple safe friends. You have to choose to fight in this area. The general Napoleon Bonaparte said, an army marches on its stomach, so starve the the enemy, for goodness sake. An army marches on its stomach, so starve the enemy. And that's what he would do in battle. He would go cut off the food supply of the enemy. So also for us, if we want to win in this battle, we have to starve the enemy. Okay? We have to set our mind on things above as opposed to on things below. Romans 8, 6, Paul puts it this way. Set the mind on the flesh. If you set the mind on the flesh, it's death. But to set the mind of the spirit is life and peace. So what we need is a handful of people in our lives who are willing to fight with us for holiness, who are willing to help us fight for holiness. Maybe you're struggling in this area to have one or two other men or women in your life who will fight with you for holiness in this area is the most powerful thing that you can do. To remove the shame and to say, I need someone, I need a guy to come by my side and, and fight with me. Or maybe you have a friend who's struggling with same-sex attraction and they're seeking to follow Christ. Would you be willing to fight with them to help them pursue holiness as well? I hope you would. This is what we would do in the body of Christ. Would you courageously stand up and help them too? I, I want God's best for me. And so I'm willing to fight for it. I'm willing to fight against the tide of cultural Christianity that says, eh, whatever. And fight for the best of what God wants for me. And therefore I ask a couple guys to pray for me in this area. And I know if I'm struggling in this area, I can go to those guys anytime. And they can come to me anytime because we want each other's holiness for the glory of God. That's number one. Number two is memorize scripture. Instead of top 40 love songs. You know, the human brain is a terrible thing to waste. The human brain has incredible power if we use it for good. Have you noticed how good you are at memorizing music lyrics? We have incredible power in our brains. So use our brains to memorize scripture. You can even set scripture to music. Listen to this one. Verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? This is the temple of God right here. I know it's not much to look at right now. (laughs) Yours isn't either. (laughs) This is the temple of God right here. It's not the church. It's you. It's God's people. We're the temple of God's spirit who lives in us. 
We are not on our own. We are bought with a price of Christ's blood. Therefore, honor God with your body. Wow. You memorize that, and it goes off in the moment of temptation. That is so incredibly powerful. You store that in your brain, which is such a powerful thing. Don't waste it. Such a beautiful thing. Don't waste it. In the moment of need, it goes off, and you say, God, please help me through this temptation. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. You bought me with the blood of Christ. I'm not going where I should not go. God, please help me. Okay, we equip ourselves with the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we have different strength. Here's a bunch of verses up on the screen of different verses, though, that you can memorize or at the very least meditate on. You can take out your camera, take a screenshot of this right now. Whole bunch of verses, this isn't all of them, but a bunch of verses in scripture that you can memorize or meditate on related to, to this issue at hand, and then we would be able to fight for it better with the power of the word. Go ahead, I'm not looking, you can take a picture. Okay, number three, bring the gospel into your temptation and over all your sin. Bring the gospel into your temptation and then over all of your sin. God will help you in your moment of need if you ask him. No temptation has come to you except what is common to all people, 1 Corinthians 10 says. And when you are tempted, God will provide a way out so you can walk up in it. Okay? No temptation has come to you except what is common to all the others. And when you're tempted, you can get out of it. God will give you the way. He'll strengthen you. Why? Because we've been bought with the blood of Christ, with the precious blood of, of Christ. Okay, you're not on your own. You're bought with a price. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The blood of Christ is over you. He has forgiven you. He loves you. Okay, he'll strengthen you for the battle. You ask God for, for help. I had a pastor for a friend of mine who used to struggle in this area, and he said, I began asking God for help the moment I started to open up a centerfold. And even as I opened up the centerfold, I stopped myself. I stopped myself, and I asked God, would you please help me in this moment? Okay, that's, that's bringing the power of the word, bringing the power of the spirit into your moment of temptation. To ask God for help in your moment of temptation. And then beyond that, if you fail, in any area here, you fail, don't fall into shame. Please, don't fall into shame. Shame is a terrible motivator. Okay, instead, look back up at the cross and remember it's the blood of Christ that is over you. And Christ forgives you as you turn to him and weep over your sin. Don't wink at your sin. Weep over your sin. And ask God for forgiveness well once again and he'll give you forgiveness once again. And it's that. It's the love of God. It's the grace of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ over our sin that motivates us in a way that guilt and shame never could. Let's look at this key verse. Well, one last time, we'll wrap up. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Remember, whatever it was on your list, that's what some of you were. You were, past tense. But you were washed. You're sanctified. That means you're cleansed by Jesus. You're justified. You're set free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And friends, we dwell in that this beautiful promise that anywhere we might fail, 
God is faithful and he's loving and he's good and he's generous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to sanctify us, to wash us through and through and grant us newfound energy and motivation to pursue his very best for his glory and I hope you believe by now for our good as well. God's not holding out on us. He wants the very best for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells in us and gives us power. Thank you for all my friends in this room. We're all struggling in different ways and yet you love us. Yet you bring us here. You want us where we are. And in your love, you don't want to keep us where we are. You're kind and gracious and loving, God. We thank you that you're truthful, God. We thank you that you want the best for us. And I know this area is an area of great struggle for many, and and we don't judge anyone here. That's not who we are. But we ask for your help. We ask, God, that you give us victory in this area. We ask that you give us discipline to memorize scripture, to bring a few friends in the battle, to go for God's best, and to seek your help in our moment of weakness. Father, we ask for your help. Father, would you grant us the capacity as a church to to be full of grace and to be full of truth to follow the way of Jesus in everything. We admit that that is not native to us. So Father, please help us. We release ourselves to you and we ask for your help. We give you glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.